So the founders of modern Israel admitted in published work, separately and together, that the Palestinians are the descendants of the children of Israel. And yet today, they say the reason why that land is theirs is because the modern Jews are exclusively the descendants of the children of Israel. And they need to come back to their land. This concept of the right of return, it is exposed as effectively a cover for creating a European colony, using religion when it suits it, and using ethnicity when it suits it. Peace be on you. We continue to see horrific images on our phones and of our screens of the atrocities being perpetrated by the Israeli military against the Gazan population. And at the heart of all of this, there is in actual fact a tug of war between two different ideologies and perspectives. One is that the Palestinians are in fact the indigenous people of the land being ethnically cleansed from the land. And the second is that of the Israeli army, which is that the Jewish people are the true inheritors of the land and the Palestinians are simply Arab invaders who, who came into the land in the early 20th century. So in answer to this particular question, we're going to go to the ideological founders of Zionism and see what they had to say about the Palestinian Arabs. So who are these people we have on the screen before us and what do they have to say for themselves? Well, these are some of the founders of political Zionism from the 19th century. And political Zionism is essentially this idea that the uh, contemporary Jews or the Jews that we have today are the direct descendants of the biblical children of Israel and that the biblical children of Israel, uh, it became, were promised the, um, the land of Palestine. And thus that gives an inherent moral religious right and eventually they argued legal right that they deserve that land of Palestine, even if the Palestinians are still there. But the idea that the Jews, today's Jews, are exclusively the children of Israel, which is today the, the, the Zionist parlance, was not something that was uh, believed by the founders of modern Israel. So we have on the next slide, Professor Shlomo well, I'd, Sands. I'd like to just go through some of these individuals first. This okay, is, go for it. This is Israel Belkind, who is a prominent um, early uh, Zionist of the um, uh, 19, of the 19th century. Um, Theodore Herzl as well, who's described in the Israeli Declaration of Independence as the spiritual father of the Israeli mm. nation. Mm. And we have another guy who's a very interesting guy who's really no, never really talked about, but is very important actually. Yeah. His name is William Heckler, who was in actual fact a Christian. And he was a very close associate of Theodore Herzl. He supported him enormously. He introduced him to the German royal family. He uh, was a patron of Theodore Herzl. And William Heckler was this Christian Zionist who believed that the time was ripe for the Jews to resettle in, in Israel, hmm. uh, in what, is, what was Palestine then. And Theodore Herzl you know, came to the conclusion that Jews needed their own homeland uh, because of um, according to most narratives, uh, because of the observation of the pogroms, because of the observation of anti-Semitism in Europe, mm. he himself was a journalist in Vienna. And so, you know, I find it very strange that this political figure is known as the spiritual father mm. of Israel. He was not a spiritual individual. Mm. And in fact, he died very young. He died in his 40s before the nation of Israel was even came to any kind of fruition. And he was pushing for the land to be allocated in Uganda, in, right. in, British, yeah, yeah. in British, the British, which was a British colony at the time. So it's, um, it's just really interesting, I find, that um, 
that he's described as a spiritual father and that he was patronized patronized rather he was he was supported yeah. by William Heckler who was a, who was a Christian Zionist I mean many of the of early Zionists were in fact atheists yeah. which belies their ultimate claim yeah. of that they were that they believed that God had promised them this land yeah. because they didn't believe that God in God and they didn't believe that <laughs> God had promised anything because they believe it was all just myths right yeah I mean that was uh, it remains the case in the Jewish population that they have uh, potentially a disproportionately high number of atheists yes. um, amongst their overall uh, of of the people who would call themselves by a religious name, yeah. which is the Jews. Yeah. Um, but that, be it, be it as it may, what we um, come to is, uh, well, what that actually reveals is that essentially this is an ethno-supremacist ideology. Yeah, right? and, it, and it is. And, and to be honest, a little bit of digging and scratching at the surface of the Zionist ideology immediately reveals that. Hmm. I was listening to this rabbi talk about this. and You get these orthodox rabbis who you know, they're, they're not in favor of Israel's yeah. existence or, or, or representation of Israel as a Jewish state. They're happy for Israel to exist, as, as are we, yeah. um, but we just don't want it to be an ethno-nationalist, uh, ideologically uh, ideological state, which is only for one type of its citizens, which mm. is, for example, what you have with the um, Jewish state law, which is the statement recently in the last few years that Israel is a nation only for its Jewish citizens, mm. not for all of its citizens. And it has millions of Palestinians living under it as well. Um, of Palestinian heritage. So what I'm what the what he said was very interesting was he pointed out that, well, the the founding right of Israel is the right of return. That if you're Jewish anywhere in the world, or if mm. you have one of four grandparents who are Jewish, yeah. you can claim the right of return to Israel. Yeah. And that you can do so even if you're an atheist. Mm. You can be an atheist and one of your parents is grand well, one of your grandparents is it was Jewish, you can claim the right of return. Mm. But if you become, and so from that you ask, well, is it about being Jew, Jewish by religion? And the answer is no, it's about being Jewish by ethnicity. Yeah. But this rabbi made a good point that how can you call an Ethiopian Jew the same as a Polish Jew in ethnicity? Yeah. They're completely different ethnicities. And yeah. then the second point he made is that the moment that atheist becomes a Muslim, yeah, he suddenly can't come into Israel. And you're like, hold on a second. I thought it was about ethnicity. Yeah. So why should my new religion bomb? So you're saying the atheist ethnic Jew, yeah, he has a right of return, but when he becomes a Muslim, he can't. He doesn't. He can't come back. He can't come in. <laughs> so is it religion or is it ethnicity? Well, actually, it's both. Whichever one suits the aims hmm. of the Israeli state, which is to create a European-based, hmm. European-centric, yeah, uh, proxy for US and UK and European interests. Yeah. Which is why, for example, you have these Ethiopian Jews who have they're they're Ethiopian, but they have they are, you know, their their pedigree as Jews is very clear. Yeah. You have the Yemeni Jews who've had a persistent Yemeni Jewish population there for millennia. Yeah. You can't gainsay that. These guys are Jews in the in the if you want to the purest sense, these guys are the Jews. You know, they're mm. the real deal. Mm. Okay. But when they came into Israel one, they had a heck of a time getting into Israel. Hmm. They had a really difficult time getting um, uh, Israeli citizenship, especially the Ethiopian Jews. Hmm. And then when they came in, what did we find? We found that in actual fact, the state of Israel had been giving them uh, contraceptive shots hmm. to the Ethiopian Jewish women to prevent them from reproducing without them knowing. Hmm. Okay, they were, they were giving them Depo-Provera, so they couldn't, couldn't, couldn't conceive. And so this is an actual fact. This shows that even though they were forced by their you know, position on the right of return to accept these people into the country, they did not want them to become uh, uh, a significant minority of that country hmm. because of their race. Yeah. So this is an actual fact, this concept of the right of return, it is exposed as 
effectively a cover hmm. for creating a European colony. Hmm. Okay, using religion hmm. when it suits it and using ethnicity when it suits it. Yeah, it's kind of speaking out of both sides of your mouth on that on that issue. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the funny thing is, is that, you know, um, and this is what we're going to cover next on the next slide, is that some of the founders of Israel actually... Um, accepted a much once upon a time accepted a much more rational perspective on this yeah and they weren't as exclusionary so this is professor shlomo sands he's a he's an emeritus professor at tel aviv university um and he's a historian and he's written a, a series of famous books um one of them is the invention of the jewish people and in this extract he is talking about david ben gurion yeah yeah the first prime minister of israel the guy who oversaw plan dalit and the whole ethnic cleansing He's talking about what he said pre-1929, what was published under his name, along with, uh, I think, Ben Zvi is his name. That's right. Right? So so Shlomo says, so, sorry, Professor Sands says, I'm not his personal friend yet. <laughs> I'm hoping to give him a call there. Professor Sands says, historical reason indicates that the population that su survived, sorry, he's, 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 he's embodying what Ben Gurion was saying. Historical reason indicates that the population that survived since the seventh century had originated... The, from the Judean farming class that the Muslim conquerors had found when they reached the country. And he quotes, to argue that after the conquest of Jerusalem by Titus and the failure of the Bar Kokhba revolt, Jews altogether ceased to cultivate the land of Eretz Israel, which means greater Israel, is to d demonstrate complete ignorance in the history and the contemporary literature of Israel. The Jewish farmer, like any other farmer, was not easily torn from his soil which had been watered with his sweat and the sweat of his forebears, despite the repression and suffering, the rural population remain unchanged. This is from 1918. Right. So what he's saying here is that it's a myth that actually all the Jews were dispersed mm. after the Jewish Roman wars and the destruction of the seventh, second temple and then the Bar Kokhba revolt. Many, many Jews were killed. Yeah. that's right but he's saying it's a myth that all of them then mm. the rest the, the remainders Fled. all of them left yeah. they didn't all flee in fact the people many stayed there and they became muslim mm. after after the advent of islam and he continues this was written 30 years before israel's proclamation of independence which asserts that the whole people was forcibly uprooted that's that's a key point David Ben-Gurion wrote the Israel's Proclamation of Independence. He was involved in that. Mm. And so he contradicts what he himself wrote in a book 30 years earlier, which is to state that they were uprooted from the soil, mm. the Jewish people, after Emperor Titus, is uh, ignorance. He mm. says is a complete ignorance in the history and contemporary literature of Israel. Yeah. But 30 years later, once they to create this narrative of a land which had been expunged from its indigenous population who then had to return and find themselves on that land yeah. again right? That in actual fact had to be created as a, as a, as a narrative myth yeah. to justify the right of return. But they knew it wasn't true. But they knew it wasn't true. Right. And he goes on to say the two committed Zionists, this is um, Ben Gurion and Ben Zvi, <coughs> wished to join the local natives, believing wholeheartedly that this could be achieved thanks to their shared ethnic origin. Well, I'm not necessarily sure about that, but he says, although the ancient Judean peasants converted to Islam, they had done so for material reasons, is what uh, Ben Gurion said, chiefly to avoid taxation, which were in no way treasonous. Indeed, by clinging to their soil, they remained loyal to their homeland. Ben-Gurion and Ben-Zvi saw Islam, unlike Christianity, as a democratic religion that not only 
all converts that not only embraced all converts to Islam as brothers, but genuinely revoked the political and civil restrictions and sought to erase social distinctions. So basically, Ben Gurion was saying that there was a reason the Jews converted to Islam. He sees the financial reasons, but you know that was you know that's not our narrative and that's not what we believe. You know, we believe that uh, many of those people became messianic Jews in yes. that area. They believed yes. in Jesus, yeah. and due to principally in many ways the preaching of Elijah, mm. they knew that there was someone coming that they. Was, Baptist. Sorry, I, I'm using the spiritual terms clear. Yeah, by the preaching, <laughs> <laughs> the preaching of the second coming of Elijah, John the Baptist, um, that there would be uh, a further prophet that would to come. Yeah. And Jesus himself said about this. He said that you, you know, the Paraclete will come, the Comforter, whose uh, message you cannot yet hear. Yeah. They knew that a further prophet was coming. It was mm. spoken about in Deuteronomy 18, and that's why they converted. It wasn't because of the difference between Jizya and Zakat. Okay, because actually the non-Muslims paid a lower rate of tax than the Muslims. Yeah. So I've always found that to be an extraordinary... And they didn't have to defend the homeland either. And they didn't have to fight militarily as a result of paying tax. So he so he continues, and I think, I mean, I think we can, uh, we can probably, we've probably got to the, the main thing. Why don't you go to the... Um, so the next thing is the interesting thing, which is that <clears throat> the authors, so this is again, Ben Gurion, if we go to the next slide, please. The He, he continues, Shlomo continues, Shlomo Sands continues, Histor um which is that the authors referring to Ben Gurion and Ben Zvi underlined that the Jewish origin of the Falahin, the Falahin was the was the peasants, hmm. could be revealed by means of a philological study of the local Arabic language as well as by linguistic geography. Hmm. They went even further than Belkind, that was Israel Belkind, who we referenced earlier, one of the uh, founders of modern Zionism, in stressing that a study of 10,000 names of all the villages, streams, springs, mountains, ruins, valleys, and hills from Dan to Beersheba confirmed that the entire biblical terminology of Eretz Israel remains alive as it had been in the speech of the Fedah, the, the peasant population. Some 210 villages still bore cleared Hebrew names, and in addition to the Muslim law, there was for a long time a code of peasant laws or unwritten customary judgments known as Sharia al-Khalil, the laws of the patriarch Abraham. Hmm. So he, he, he points out that a lot of the Jewish traditions persisted in the local population of the Palestinians, right. which would not have been the case had they been as the uh, as, as the narratives, yeah. which the, the modern Zionists now say, which is that they're all Arabs who yeah. came with the Arab conquests. They're not the original Jews who were in the land at the time of Titus. Yeah. So go on to the next slide, and it's very powerful. What uh, so this he is page one eight seven. So do you want to do you want to cover this? Yeah. Yeah. He said Benzvi considered the chapter on the origin of the Falahin to be the fruit of his own independent research, and was apparently offended that Ben Gurion appropriated his material. In nineteen twenty nine, that he is just so ironic. <laughs> yes, a uh, intellectual property dispute there. In nineteen twenty nine, he returned to this important theme in a special booklet in Hebrew that bore his name alone. It does not differ significantly from the chapter on this subject in the book um, of the two that the two Zionist leaders published together, but it has some expanded materials. If, if you and go basically, to the quote in the next paragraph, that's yeah. So basically, bit. he says, obviously, it would be mistaken to say that all the Falahin are descendants of the ancient Jews, but it can be said of most of them or their core. Okay, that's right. So, I mean, this is, uh, and then he later says, the great majority of the Falahin do not descend from the Arab conquerors, but before that, from the Jewish Falahin. Peasants. Or the, yeah, the ordinary people, yeah. who, are, who are the foundation of this country before its conquest, conquest by Islam. So he's saying the great majority of the current peasants, the, the ordinary people of the Palestinians, do not descend from the Arab conquerors but from the Jewish people who were the foundation of this country so, before its conquest. So the Islam. founders of modern Israel yes. admitted in published work, <laughs> yeah. separately and together, that the Palestinians 
are the descendants of the children of Israel. Yeah. And yet today they say that the reason why that land is theirs is because the Jews, the modern Jews are exclusively the, the descendants of the children of Israel. And they need to come back to their land. Yeah. But I always wonder, it's an extraordinary thing, you know, how can they square the circle between the fact that, okay, let's say you've got a Polish or a German or American Jewish guy. Hmm. He's got one of his four grandparents is Jewish. Her ancestors may have lived one of one. Remember ancestry is not, you just have one set of parents. Yeah, it diverges. Yeah. Right. So we've almost, we've almost probably, how far back is 2000 years ago? 80 generations. Hmm. Right. I don't know, but yeah. It's about 80 generations. Yeah, it's about three or four generations per year, and you've got you got you got twenty years, twenty centuries yeah. there. Okay, so you've got about eighty generations. Hmm. Well, call blimey, <laughs> I bet there's every single one of us has at least one line which goes back to somebody who lived in Palestine. Well, I mean, I, think I mean, I mean, undoubtedly, right? So you put that to one side. Let's say even let's say all of her lines went back to Palestine. There's one guy who's one of his grandparents is Jewish. Hmm. Let's say all of her grandparents went back 80 generations. They all lived in Palestine. He's really pure thoroughbred from that one line. Yeah. Okay. Right. Fine. 80 generations ago. But then you have a Palestinian who's been living in that land and who still has the keys mm. to the home, which his grandparents, which who are still alive as well, were kicked out of two generations ago. Mm. How can you prefer the claim of the guy who's got 80 generate goes 80 generations back to establish his claim to the land to the person who goes back two generations. How can, how can you do that? Because the Bible. No, but, he, <laughs> but even the, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but even, even this evidence shows that this becomes even worse, mm. right? Because the people who are actually there are the, 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 themselves, the indigenous people of the land by every single measure, even by the admission of the original founders of Israel. Well, I mean, and Israel know this because there has been a lot of uh, genetic evidence which shows this. In our next slide, we will see uh, one particular um, uh, set of kind of inconvenient evidence. This is from 2001. Journal Axis Gene Research on Jews and Palestinians. A keynote research paper showing that Middle Eastern Jews and Palestinians are genetically almost identical has been pulled from a leading journal. Academics who have already received copies of human immunology have been urged to rip out the offending pages and throw them away. Such a drastic act of self-censorship self is unprecedented in research publishing and has created widespread disquiet, <laughs> generating fears that it may involve the suppression of scientific work that questions biblical dogma. There's been terrible muttering amongst the academic circle. <laughs> yeah, they may Dis write a letter. Disquiet. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean this, is, this is unbelievable and it shows the extent to which the Israeli elites and the Israeli government are petrified yeah. of, this, um, of this coming out, yes. of, of, the, of, of anything which questions their narrative. I mean, apparently they couldn't censor the 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 writings of their founding fathers, yeah. right? But they'll 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 rip this out of libraries. Yeah. But you know, this was one set of evidence which said that the Middle Eastern Jews and Palestinians are almost genetically identical. Let's move on to. Well, actually, let's just go to the article as well. If we have a quote from the article, okay. So this is the paper, the origin of the Palestinians and their genetic relatedness with other Medi Mediterranean populations, and it says in common with earlier studies. So this wasn't some groundbreaking finding. This was common with other earlier studies. The team found no data to support the idea that Jewish people were genetically distinct from other people in the region. In doing so, the team's research challenges claims that the Jews are a special chosen people and that Judaism can only be inherited. You know, 
Jews and Palestinians in the Middle East share a very similar gene pool and must be considered closely related and not genetically separate. Rivalry between the two races is therefore based on cultural and religious, but not in genetic differences. And, and uh, but the, um, the journal now claims that the article was politically biased and was written using inappropriate remarks about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, as in inappropriate because it didn't perpetuate an ongoing occupation of people's land. Yeah. Um, and instead said, actually, these people need to make peace because they're fundamentally the same people. Hmm. Um, so that's apparently, uh, that apparently is, is politically biased, but not ripping out pages of a journal. Yeah. Right. Um, and actually, more recently, there's been a really interesting tweet which has made huge rounds. Well, well, well let's let's pause on that because there is a there is something which you, you have to question a little bit, which is that most of the Israelis are look quite white, right? And the well, many uh, of them, many of them, or, or many of them, not all of them, but yeah. but many of them look quite European, yeah. right? And when you trace the history, you find out that if there was a degree of a diaspora, and if there was some people who left Judea at the time, yeah. then they uh, had conversions and they mixed with uh, certain Eastern European um, populations. Uh, populations, and they became Judaized and they became Jewish, yeah. and those are actually. Many to most of those who 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 uh, attach themselves to the identity of being Jews, because as we've already seen, as David Ben Gurion himself said, the Jews, the the majority of the children of Israel, including in Judea, they were they were Jewish, and then well, Gurion didn't say this, but they became Messianic Jews who believed in Jesus, and then they became Muslim. Yeah, right. So if you have a whole group of people calling themselves Jews, and ninety or ninety five percent of them no longer call themselves Jews because they, they it is superseded by their Muslim identity, yeah, then you get this false impression. Yeah, because the the only people left yeah. are the ones who rejected Islam. Yeah. and call themselves Jews. Yeah, but actually that doesn't mean that they were the only people who were part of the original Jews. They are exactly. a small percentage of the original Jews. Exactly, and some of them went down to Eastern Europe, mixed with the Eastern Europeans there. Which is why the contemporary, many to most of the contemporary Israelis do look, do look genetically distinct. And I know many of them will, will claim that they are uh, a special people, but I can't believe that they are cosmetically special, <laughs> <laughs> and that they and that they uh, somehow their ancestors did not uh, develop darker skin in relation to the sun exposure in the land of of you know Canaan and in the Middle East in general, right? Yeah, so yeah. there's a bit of a contradiction They're there. Very special melanin. Yeah. So how does this kind of the, these newer findings? How does this uh, how does this relate to that? How does this so if we explain go to the next that? slide? Um, we've got there's one this this tweet has done the rounds, three point seven million views. Wow. Um yeah. So this is a this is a this is a chap who describes himself Myrosio, genetic algebra and population genetics. I don't know about his qualifications, but he makes an interesting points on this thread, which I thought was probably worth mm. showcasing. <laughs> so he he talks about how geneticists have had access to ancient DNA whole genome sequences from Canaanites, Israelites, Judahites for some time now. First genetic distances to modern people below. I'll be providing lots of information in this thread. This is comparing modern day populations to um, ancient DNA whole genome sequences of ancient Canaanites, ancient Israelites, ancient Judahites, right. and seeing how closely related they are. And he makes the point in his tweets, genetic distances around 0 0.02 or under mean a group is practically and genetically indistinguishable. Hmm. 0 0.05 implies distinguishability, but belong to the same genetic regional grouping. Hmm. So, for example, a subracial grouping like Northwestern European or Eastern European. Yeah. Around 0.1 implies the edge of differentiating into racial clusters, you'd say European versus Middle Eastern versus East Asian versus South Asian. Hmm. Right? And if you're 0.3 or 0.4, it's basically you're like 
subspecies. So a domestic dog versus a gray wolf, right. for example. Okay. So, so 0 0.02 is basically genetically indistinguishable. Yeah. And as you can see, the people who are 0 0.02 are Samaritans, Palestinian Christians, Jordanian Christians, you know, Syrian Christians. These are now going to 0 0.3 now, 0 0.03. And it makes perfect sense. And he makes a really good point, which is that if the reason it's all Christians of the area hmm. is because they didn't accept Islam and they continue to mix amongst Christians, marry amongst Christians, have children with other Christians. Right. Right. And so they didn't, there was nothing less there was ethnic. No, mixing. There was nothing because the ones who converted mixing. to Islam would have no issue with marrying the Arabs. Exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. So, but even then, as you look at it, you find therefore that the other group who are, you know, 0 0.05, they're within the same subgroup. You can say, who are they? They are, the Karaite Iraqis, the Lebanese Druze, the Israeli Druze, the Karaite, Karaite Egyptians, Iraqi Jews, Lebanese Muslim, mm. Kurdish Jew, Alawite, Palestinian Muslim. Palestinian Muslim makes it into the group of a subgroup mm. at about 0 0.05. Basically the same people. Basically the same people. But who aren't there? Who's not on this list? Well, the Ashkenazi Jews aren't there. The Ashkenazi Jews aren't there. Right. Uh, and the reason is very and obvious. And are they Sephardic Jews? So a lot of these are Sephardic Jews. So Iraqi Jews, for example. Well, they, cla they classify Sephardic Jew down, down there at 0 0.07. You're quite right. Yeah, you're quite right. Sephardic Jew is further down Sephardic there. But so you've got Iraqi Jews, you know, Lebanese, uh, Kurdish Jews, uh, Syrian Jews. So these are people who are, you know, it's very obvious they would be in that same population. But who you don't have here are the European Jews. Right. So this notion that Oh well, uh, the Palestinian Muslim who has genetically is pretty much genetically within the same group is at point zero five. Yeah, the Palestinian Muslim who's living in Gaza under rubble. Yeah, right, because he's bombed because he's not part of the right ethnic group to to get the right of return. Actually, is part of the right ethnic. Actually, group. is part of the right ethnic group, but the European Jew, right, right, who's not even on the list. Yeah, right, he can have the right of return. Hmm. And, and this is the other thing we talked a little bit about religion versus ethnicity and how it's basically used, whichever one is most, most appropriate to maintain the, the ethno, ethno supremacist view hmm. Israel holds, hmm. whichever one is most ap appropriate. They use it at that time. If it was about Jew religion, why would you accept a European Jew who's an atheist to come into your country, but you'd block a Muslim Palestinian Muslim? Yeah. The Palestinian Muslim has pretty much all of the same fundamental beliefs, fundamental beliefs hmm. as the Jew. Yeah. Right. Believes in Moses. He believes in monotheistic. The, he believes, he's monotheistic. He believes in the one God. He, he, believes, he believes in, in Moses. He believes in the validity of the Torah yeah. as a means by which people used to reach God. Mm. All right. And it even says in the Quran, it says you, you will be judged by that which is therein in the Torah. Mm. Okay. Um, no, no Muslim would say that Jews by virtue of being Jews are going to go to hell. No Muslim would say that. Yeah. Right. So there's... Well, some might, but they'd be, they'd be incorrect. They'd be incorrect. Yeah. So it's... Uh, it's 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 a complete um, it's a it's a, it's a complete lie. It's a complete fiction. Right. That somehow uh, these Palestinians they are being that they are firstly that they're not of the right ethnic group or that they're not of the right religious grouping. And it, and it, it outs political Zionism as essentially being an ethno supremacist movement. Yeah. Right. With religious garb. Yeah. Exactly. But actually, their religious claims don't have validity, and even their ethnic claims don't have validity. And I think this is really important, because especially when you're talking over thousands of years, ethnicity is not a binary thing. Yeah. It's not yes or no. Yeah. It's a question of matter of degree, yeah. right? And if one wants to argue from a matter of degree, the Palestinian Muslims are 
closer to yeah. being the children of Israel yeah. than later European converts. It doesn't mean that the, um, you know, the, the Ashkenazi Jews don't have any claim to being children of Israel. No, they do. They do. They do, they have, do have a claim to be. But if you're going to make the basis but of it. But if you include them, you have to include exactly. the Palestinians. Exactly. Right. I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, anti-Semitism is a serious issue, but the way it's being weaponized to defend yeah. criticism of Israel can only make us wonder, um, are genes anti-Semitic? <laughs> I mean, that's the question I want to know. Are genes actually anti-Semitic? And on that note, um, we will catch you in future videos. Peace be on you.